The San Jose Sharks travel over five hours cross-continent and come up victorious in Montreal. We'll break down Capo Kakinen's third career shutout. Matt Benning doing something good. And a lot more right now. Tell all your friends, jump in right now. This is Teal Town After Dark. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, November 29th, 2022, and the San Jose Sharks get a very big bonjour into Canada with a 4 nothing shutout of the Montreal Canadiens. And with that, we welcome you to Teal Town After Dark. This is your live interactive Sharks post game. We do this after every game, so if you want to be part of the show, here's how you do it. Join the conversation and chat with us and fellow Sharks fans all over the world in Sharks territory, of course, on the YouTube page or the app. Of course, follow us on the social YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Reddit, Discord, TikTok. Find everything at tealtownusa.com. If you want to support the pod, you can do it through a super chat or Venmo us at tealtownusa. And with that, good evening, everyone. Bonjour. <laughs> all right, that's all the French you're getting. I'm under strict contract not to do that. Landy, the same with you. How are you doing, buddy? <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> uh, bonne nuit. Uh, good. Good evening. Um, how are you? Uh, how are you doing this evening, Eric? Uh, you know, I I am. I guess you could say I'm on the borderline of being on Team Tank. I would love to see Connor Bedard in teal. But damn, it feels good to have a win like this. I mean, this and to go, like I said, the intro to go cross continent into Montreal. And mind you, Montreal, not exactly, you know, you know, slayers of of men's professional ice hockey at the moment. But I mean, to to have a victory, this team needed uh, a, a strong victory and uh was not expecting it tonight, and especially with a shutout from Capo Kakinen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, some of the most inspired hockey I've seen out of this team this season. And, you know, it was enjoyable to watch, frankly. Yeah. You know, I, I had felt the last few games um, that I had kind of been on the podcast it was just like okay how do i slice you know <laughs> a, a loss any other way and and how do i have a lack of, of vocabulary when it comes to us losing and all of a sudden you know a, a win helps motivate you and helps reinvigorate you back into um, doing this so you know again good to see the win i think i am sort of on team tank as well but damn a win sure feels good every once in a while <laughs> yeah no completely agree with that uh and you know they've played fairly well in this and you know they get their seventh victory of the year they're now 7 13 and 4 on the campaign uh you know uh, it, it, and tony couture it, you know i frequent uh, viewer here, he's always saying so many great surprises tonight. Kakinen gets his first shutout. 
as a shark. You know, and Benning stars on defense. Much team chemistry on display tonight, and keeping shut out the tenacious Canadians. Yeah, and, and you know, we talk. They talk about Nick Suzuki. You talk about uh, you know Cole Caulfield, uh, really dominating forwards that have been highlighting their 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 success right now as they're they're at 23 points on the campaign um but you know it takes a full effort and it takes a full team effort you know kind of going with that 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 team chemistry going you know you saw like what is not even 90 seconds in you know the long beach native oh wait is that mean that what's a drinking all right matt nieto uh, picks up the rebound from Barabanov to get things going one nothing, but Montreal challenges it early on, and man, that was awfully close. Uh, what what did you think of the call? Did you did you think he was uh, did they were offside or or what? Because it looked to me it looked like they did, but you know the situation room said you know no concrete evidence on it. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of key, right? It wasn't really confirmed, um, but there was just not overturned, right? And I think that they went with the call on the ice, and that being that, um, you know, the the goal was good and onside. Um, I saw the camera angle that you saw as well to give you pause and to think that that, that was offsides because that was initially how I was going to rule that one as well. Um, but again, they either must have found another angle that we didn't see or deemed it wasn't enough evidence because you could kind of see a little bit of blue (laughs) depending on how you looked at it. So again, razor thin margin, um, could have gone either way in my opinion on that one. Um, but again, good to see the effort, the second effort for Matt Nieto there on the follow-up with the shot. Um, and good to keep attacking the net, you know, and, and something that we hadn't seen a lot of, right? I mean, we had been begging this team for second chances and to be parked out in front of the net and to, um, you know, really start to play some inside hockey. And, and we saw that in that first period. And, and again, part of the reason why it was enjoyable to watch the game was because this team was funneling towards the net rather than having a lot of play be dictated to them. Um, and especially in that first period, second period, you know, we'll get into, I think that there's still, you know, there's still things that are concerning, but again, they came out like gangbusters in that first and, this team has always historically played well against Montreal in Montreal. And uh, again, good to, good to see the team have a little bit of life. Yeah. And it doesn't, it helps that they had, you know, practically back to back power play chances, uh, granted over two and, and over would be the theme of the night on the power play as it seemed like it was a one big power play <laughs> on the night for both Phew. teams. Yeah. But, uh, you are not joking about that, but they looked they looked promising in there. You know, they were out shooting Montreal early on 7-1. And of course, that does include with the power play, uh, two power play chances. But then Montreal comes back. They eventually outshoot, you know, the Sharks 8-7 after one period. Uh, of course, it helps that, you know, the Sharks have two power plays. They give up to Montreal. But 
again, this penalty kill. And I, I can't stress it enough. You know, they were number two last year. They look even better uh, this year. I, I want to say what that's like five or six goals that they've allowed. And a lot of them have been, you know, on extended power plays or five on threes for that matter. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that you're, you're on to something there with the, with the penalty kill um, looking stronger than it has, because I think at times last season, you could start to see the cracks a little bit right. form in that, in that unit um and especially after the mid-season trades um you know with the the lack of a cogliano or etc ad name here um (laughs) you know that 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 unit took a drop off and so this season um they picked up right where they left off from last year um but have really heavily leaned on uh, the likes of matt nieto and nick benino to to really keep that unit together and to really uh, shuffle in the new set of forwards that now play on that PK. They've really um, become the leadership in, in the PK. And, and I think that that um, leadership kind of just goes to speak where they're at on the PK in regards to, um, you know, their relative standing in the league. So, you know, I, I think that the team, I, I, it, when I talk about, um, specialty teams in general, I think that this team has been above average. I mean, they're right now they're above a hundred percent. If you take both the penalty kill and the power play added up. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's been a strong season for specialty teams. I wonder if we're still not seeing enough um, traffic in front of the net and enough, um, dis- decisiveness being, you know, seen on the power play because I still see a lot of deferring. I still see a lot of trying to make a tic-tac-toe uh, move to get a to get a puck past the the goaltender. When sometimes, you know, giving varied looks towards the goaltender is, is a, a better strategy, right? To kind of keep them on their toes. You know, you get some coming in from the points you get some um you know off of tippins or you get um the the layers that drew Romenda always likes to <laughs> preach you know where you have the three layered um approach towards the net so again the team can sometimes be very one-dimensional and i think it can can get stagnant right and i saw part of that being played out on the power play tonight and that was one of my takeaways was you know the penalty kill is giving this team life right now they're they're really um generating a lot of momentum from it um so that's that's the positive but but the negative aspect is um their own power play is is sometimes feels like it lacks decision it feels like it lacks um decisive action Uh, so so basically if you follow the barracuda i'm gonna say this uh so it'll be perfect for Ryan Merkley, um, who I swear to God, he just hangs on to that puck way too much. But I digress. Uh, yeah, with the, the penalty kill, obviously, you know, you, you, you've hit a bang on target. It's been phenomenal. They 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 give Montreal an 0 for 6 on the power play tonight. Uh, Sharks, I thought they had some good grooves, but they felt they felt a little stagnant a little bit 
uh, tonight in Montreal. Uh, but they had some good chances uh, despite all of that. And, and you know, it, it, you know, you get into the second period and then you you have that one penalty where uh, Dadinov gets called for interference, which I thought was a little shaky, where Chichek goes into Kakinen as Montreal is scoring. Uh, that eliminates a goal, but you know there was that, and then the Sharks take a parade to the penalty box. Lindblom for slashing, VL. Hey, good to see you back in the NHL. You go to the box, slashing or excuse me, hooking Meyer for tripping, and then Jacob Megan at the end of the period puck over glass, and and again, you know that was basically the second period. You know where it seems like interruptions by penalties. I think the ref guy in the way with the puck a number of times. I think I said that with uh, Andrew Berkshire on SDPN. You know, just being like, it just seems like you could see this team wants to get moving and then something gets in the way. And it just kind of clogged up the second period where it just was like, bleh. You know, uh, I mean, overall, I thought, you know, the second period was a dud. You know, third period. The Sharks get that huge PK go- going. Let's talk. I about- mean, let's let's talk about Kapokaka yeah. for a second because uh, I think again we we'd bury the lead here, but you know you had that that initial goal um, waved off, and and you thought, okay, you know he's gonna escape, continue this this um, shutout uh, that he's that he had going, and, and really tonight had the most battle I've seen out of him in maybe three or four starts. And Ian and I, when we were on last, had really questioned whether or not Capo Kakinen would be the answer in, in goal, whether he really was, you know, a, a long-term asset. And, and a performance like tonight where not only did he do well statistically, but he also looked like a goaltender who was confident, looked like a goaltender who um, could make those lateral movements. Where, whereas before, we were kind of left wondering, like, okay, this guy kind of seems like, you know, uh, uh, I, I guess I question whether or not the um, flexibility and the reaction um, time had had kind of slipped from last season, right? But uh, a performance like tonight, where you saw him battle in the net, you saw him push from from goalpost to goalpost, you saw him tracking the puck really well. I mean, I think at one point he he headered a puck, you know, uh, <laughs> off of his helmet and, and, t- and took the save, right? So that to me speaks volumes that that there is still an elite goaltender in there somewhere. Yeah. He, he, he he has shown flashes of it in his time, especially at the end of the year last year, where just seemed like he couldn't buy a win uh, after he got traded, but he played a phenomenal effort. Sure enough, you get something like that again tonight and it's, it's nice. I mean, he really kept the sharks in this game where, where when you're only up one nothing, ninety seconds in, up until like like the two and a half minute mark of the third period, you know you need to 
keep guys in the game. And with all the penalties that they had, like the Sharks had five penalties in the first 40 minutes of this game. You know, it could have been a lot worse. And he stoned Cole Caulfield on that one one-timer. You know, they, they had plenty of chances to uh, to get this game tied up. But, you know, Kako said no, no, and, and kept this game going. And then after that five on three, they get them to come back. And then Hurdle gets a nice pass from LeBanc to get it get them to nothing you get the insurance landy and all of a sudden you're like oh we finally finally a sigh of relief you could breathe for a little bit my goodness yeah but i mean even when the sharks had the lead though you still saw the compete level extremely high and i think that for me that's kind of the mark of a goaltender of is he a quality? Is he a quality goaltender when he has a lead and when he has the advantage? Can he maintain that advantage? Can he maintain that momentum? Right, because of Sharks goalies past, it seemed like it seemed like that could falter. You know, right. it, it, you could have a guy that got a little too confident or or forgot fundamentals when the team was up. You know. X amount of goals, however many goals you want to you want to uh, go with, but there would almost be this sense of complacency that would set in um, in the goaltending. And when you see a guy like Kapokakinen making acrobatic saves in the third period when he's got a three goal lead, or you know at, at the end there a four goal lead, it it's just. You know, it's just refreshing to see. Yeah, and to to see how how this can literally change the confidence of your game. To have that, oh God, here we go again. There's that first goal in the first five minutes of each damn period. I mean, how many times have we saw it the last two seasons? Whether it was or hell, the last two seasons of Martin Jones, and then last year it hit curtailed and again earlier this year i think we were at 13 12 or 13 times where they gave up a goal in the last minute you know it's just demoralizing not to use the word that david quinn said about his team on day one of the season uh, but to have a goaltender come in and make make those saves you know they don't have to be flashy they don't have to be like that one like i mentioned with cole caulfield getting stoned you know on a one-timer, uh, but just the just the key saves where it could just fall apart. Where if you don't give you that oomph, you know it's just not going to work out. You have those plays, and then when you get get up the ice after that five on three, you come back and score to make it two nothing. And then what was it like a minute fifteen later? Couture gets a home run pass from Eric. I mean, sorry, Matt Benning. What? On a breakaway, Couture scores? I mean, uh, one thing that uh, we have noted here, thank you, AJ. Logan Couture has nine goals in November of 2022, his most in a calendar year since December 2011 when he also had nine. His most by any month is 10. He's got one more to go, you know, tomorrow in in Toronto. Um, 
The wrist must be feeling better. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have to say about that, because he clearly was fighting some kind of wrist injury at the beginning of the year that that shot had no power on it. And now I don't see necessarily a power increase from the shot, but I do see a more selective culture. I think I think he has been very frugal with his shots, but been very um, precise with the accuracy. So, you know, if you if you can't if you if you can't overpower him with a shot, your next best thing is to go for the accuracy game, right? And, right. and try to pick the the spots at which you you make a shot. And I think that Couture's shot selection this month has definitely been better because I think at the beginning of the season, it seemed like he was still trying to shoot as if he were a 25-year-old or a 27-year-old, right, where he would try and power through a shot, whether it be glove side or, or whether it be blocker side, but he would try to be very quick about his shots to, to keep a goaltender kind of off of his um, off of his game. But this season, it seems like he's just held the puck for maybe an extra second or an extra half second to try to, to make a fake first and then, you know, put a, a more precise shot on net. So I, it, it's subtle and you have to really kind of be watching him. But again, I'm seeing good things. And Burge was was talking about it uh, in the chat. You know, the, the the Sharks are two points out of a playoff spot and we're um, you know, we got 57 games to play. <laughs> uh, look, <laughs> oh boy, here we go. <laughs> All I'm going to say is you've got to cross four teams, five teams, if you include the spot that you need to get into the wild card. And you've played about four more games than than on average the rest of your your conference. It's not good odds, and and I don't also think that the team has enough to compete with just within their division. So, for the this Sharks team to make it, it would be very reminiscent of old Sharks that did not have a shot that would make the playoffs and kind of surprise us. I, I, I kind of feel it's kind of got that vibe where it's, we should be happy. We're here wherever we end up at. Right. Um, because uh, quite frankly, the last three seasons of hockey that this team has played has been very uninspiring. And um, you know, you can't take playoff success for granted. I mean, because I think as a franchise, we had it good for a long time. I mean, this is this is the first time I think realistically that they've kind of had to be, you know, um, you know, really rebuilding. I mean, they had their first two years at Cap House where they were just awful. Then they retooled, made the playoffs, and then you know they missed the playoffs a couple of years. They retooled again and and then went on that long stretch of playoff runs, missed here and there like a couple of times, but then they went on a longer run where, you know, they got within two wins of the big shiny thing among, you know, multiple conference finals appearances. This year, it's like, okay, this was the reality check. You had to 
the new era of Shaki. You know, we hear it all over the place. They needed it. And this was the time where they had to go through Patienceville and they had to work out their kinks and they had all these oh, and stuff they still time. are oh, and they yeah. still are right and i and i think you know we should also say you know look at the opponent right look at look at who it, who they're playing now if they go into toronto tomorrow and make a statement game against toronto and put two really good efforts back to back that goes a long way in in giving this team some confidence that they could think about making a run but again, I don't I, I want everybody's level to be put into perspective and, and just know that this has more of a vibe of 92, 93 versus 2010, you know, 2011, where, you know, playoffs were a guarantee. So, you know, again, it can't I don't think it can be stated enough that the team is still um, in the courses of, of restructuring a whole organization. And that doesn't come, um, you know, in half an off season, it doesn't come, you know, through one full season, in my opinion. I mean, I think that, you know, this has got to be a long game for Mike, you know, I, from the initial beginnings didn't seem like there was a cohesive plan i'm starting to see maybe some shapes of things coming um but again really really early days to to kind of reset expectations yeah and it's it's nice to see i mean yes we can of course root for the playoffs we can hope for everything but let's also be honest this is one win let's not get crazy here Yes, I mean, and I and I see Birch says, uh, you know, sorry, you forgot to use sarcasm, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you, you, some people will look at that. Your your eternal optimist will look at, hey, you're only two points out of a playoff spot. Yes, but like you said, you got to leapfrog Nashville, Vancouver, Calgary, St. Louis, and Minnesota just to get in there. So yeah, you have to up it. <sighs> It's like this is where I think the Sharks would like to be at right now. They're not going to tell you they're all team tank. They're not going to tell you they're rebuilding. They would like to be fighting for a playoff position as you go into the holidays. It's nice. It's nice. And, and and it's I nice would... to see a strong victory like this come in. But this has to be consistent if you want to go further than where uh, you are. And and I would say that this is a this is a good outcome if you have a team that's uh, a collection of young players doing this for the first time and now you're starting to make it competitive, right? But this is still a team that and and God bless the organization because they got to sell tickets, right? So they're gonna always put the most um you know most optimism most most optimistic spin on any kind of of statement coming out of of the team which they should right right but i am concerned with the financial commitments and where they should be in regards to how much they're paying players right because let's say if this was a plucky young team and this was a team that was you know 
10 million dollars under the cap and oh, yeah. a, a team that had mostly elc contracts i'd be like oh hell yeah you know like this is this is the foundation that we're talking about this is playing meaningful hockey later and later like like if i was a team like ottawa for instance right i mean and ottawa i think has pipe dreams of of where they should be and where they're at now but you know if if you had a semi non-canadian fan base looking at that with an eye <laughs> of of um cautious optimism or uh, an eye for just a little bit more objectivity right um you know and and you you're doing that with this core with those core of players in the position that the sharks are in again i'd be more optimistic but the players the commitments the ages of where some of these players are at dictates that this team should be playing at should be playing at a higher level than it is now. And again, I don't know if it's the right mix of players to really do damage um, in some kind of playoff chase. I think for at least one winger, you know, and, and could use an extra center in my opinion. Um, you know, two impact players a- away from really making noise. And I don't see that coming anytime soon. I mean, Tommy Bordalo is turning some heads. But again, I don't know if you want to thrust um, a-, a kid like that and a kid like William Eklund into the fray just to watch them, you know, end up missing the playoffs by three points or or two points i mean was that really you know all that important to bring those guys up so again you're kind of stuck in this this mushy middle it's really reminiscent of of minnesota from years past you know where they just they weren't good enough to get that number one overall but they just weren't good enough to make the playoffs you know Right. It's that middle of like, okay, what are we doing? Let's just switch out the second six uh, set of lines for a different one and see how it works. Or maybe we tinker with, you know, moving one of our top six players over to another team. Like, you know, Birch, you're mentioning, can we flip Barabana for a first rounder? I mean, it's possible, but I mean, no guarantees on that. I mean, that would probably be Doug Wilson's final uh fleecing if that were the case to send Auntie Suomela to Toronto, get Barabanov back and then you'd flip him for for a high draft pick. I mean that's wishful thinking, but you know, anything is possible. If you were gonna say something, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, and and I was just gonna kinda piggyback off of that. I mean, this team for where it's at right now should be all options on the table. Now, Barabanov is in a unique position because he just signed a new contract. So, uh, you know, I don't know how, where the loyalties are at with the organization and the player and, you know, the the changing of the GM and where he fits um, into the plans. But I think that this team needs to continue to stock the, the cupboards they need to have a good succession plan for when these these players eventually age out 
Right. Um, and, and like I was saying a little bit earlier, the parallels to Minnesota, I mean, if you really want to look at it, I mean, Logan Couture, similar to like Zach Parise's deal and where he was at, to, you know, at the back half of his career. Um, you look at um, uh, uh, Suter, Ryan Suter. I was going to say Gary Suter, but <laughs> that's his uncle. Um, Ryan and, and where his contract was on the blue line and how Eric Carlson's contract you know, you can draw parallels because they were both um, at one point the highest paid defenseman in the league. So, again, the the succession plan in Minnesota required a new uh, GM, you know, to really come in with a new eye for for new talent, keeping some old talent like um, Marco Scandella. Right. I think he kind right. of draws parallel to to somebody like um, Hurdle. Um, you know, where they re-up him and they build around him. Um, but if if I'm getting offers for a Timo Meyer, let's say, and it's and it's a first round pick and, and a blue chip prospect and something else, I, I'm definitely listening. If if somebody's calling about James Reimer and saying, hey, you know, we could um, you know, possibly get you a second or you know, something of value, you know, that is more than and say a fourth, right? Because at that point, I think it's just better to keep him. But right. you, you, you've got to be weighing all options, and you've got to be, um, you know, manning those phones and and seeing what the marketplace is saying with your players. Now, the Sharks, it it's with their where they're at in the standings and how some of their players have played. Um, this market isn't, I don't think it's a, it's very much a seller's market, right? I, I think we're, we're still too early for, um, a lot of value to be extracted and for a lot of other teams, they, they just don't know if they're still going to be in the race. Um, I mean, like you had said, Burgeon, I know you had said it with sarcasm, but the optimist, you know, eternal optimist would say uh, sharks are two points out, you know? So uh, again, I don't think the team should get any delusions of grandeur and feel that they should keep this core together. Um, I think all. Nope. You still with me there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. You just cut out for a moment there for some weird reason. Uh, Uh But my, my thing is, is that this, these next three months will this will decide the future of where this team is going. You know, we haven't really heard that R word um, in in the front office. You kind of need to know where you're at with Timo Meyer. You know, yes, you could say $10 million qualifying, but you can get around that easily. Do you move him because you're going to be like, hey, we're not going to be ready yet in a few years? Do you move him to, I mean, teams would be lining up for him in, you know, I'll say Toronto, for example, who who are just, you know, licking their chops at somebody of Timo Meyer's, you know, stature and playmaking abilities. Um, they don't have the cap space to do it. They would have to really finagle things, plus give up a whole heap and lot. And I, I think it goes for any of them, you know, uh, to to move. You know, I know everybody was getting excited about Pierre Lebrun's comments, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and that just was spiraling like crazy. 
again, you mentioned my career. What's he going to do? We don't know. We haven't seen his track record. We haven't seen what we can see. So it's just going to be, you know, blow. it's going to be a blow up. Or it could be it could be something that we wait till the last minute. I mean, yes, he's looking, listening to everything. And, and he's even said, you know, everybody's on the table except Hurdle, you know, and, you know, the way that these guys have been coming on. You know, we were dogging on Timo Meyer. We were dogging on Logan Couture. Capo uh, Kakinen. You know, Capo Kakinen. Is he going to be the one, the one guy? I mean, Dana. I come back to your comment. And by the way, Hunt, it was great to see you uh, uh, the other night at the Shark Tank. Why aren't your? Why isn't your thing? Okay, there you go. Roll the tape on Dana one month ago, ranting about people who call Couture washed. He's got thirteen goals now. You know. If I'm not mistaken, and judging by my math, it, he could be in for the team lead uh, for that. I mean, Timo Meyer, that that goalish streak that he had yeah. to to open the season, and now he's he's on almost a point per game um, basis. I mean, Tomas Hurdle, another guy, he's he's 25 games in now with 23 points. I mean, this team, the young players that need to step up are stepping up and this team has a pathway to success, but it requires a lot of their young players to really now prove that it's their time to, to lead this team. And for the prior two seasons, at least, I think we saw a sharks team that didn't have enough of the young guys pulling forward, you know, and, and enough of, of a supporting cast. Um, I'm very concerned still though, that the offense can be anemic at times, right? That this team is so one to two line dimensional that, you know, a team can check off on those guys and, and really stymie this, uh, the offensive output. One guy that I thought did a long uh, a, a long way to improve that was Svechnikov at the beginning of the season. I thought he really shored up that bottom um, or the second six, but he got scratched tonight in favor of Jeffrey VL, right? So he's right. not really been a, a stabilizing force in the last, say, week and a half, two weeks. It was interesting. I was reading something on um, San Jose Hockey Now. Shout out to um, Shang, who does a great job. Um, He's saying there are too many things for this team, um, too many things the team has to do right in order for the team to win, meaning all of the cylinders have to be hitting in the right direction for this team to have any kind of success. Sure. Is, and is that probability of that happening night in, night out better than it was last season? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I haven't seen enough to say that they really have grown as a gr- as a as a group to to make the next step. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they've they've got they've gotten better since the zero and five start. Let's be honest here. Mm-hmm. You know, they've gotten better. But um, I, I turn to to my soundboard and say, is this team ready to be a, a playoff team? AJ, your thoughts? Oh hell no! That's right. Oh hell no, indeed. I mean, they're they're making strides. <laughs> they're making strides. I know you couldn't hear that, but that was that was hilarious. Uh, 
but they're not there yet. They're not quite there yet. They they're showing they're showing strides, but it has to be more consistent for a game like this, which I think we were all excited and happy about. McCockin and getting twenty eight saves. Matt Nieto, you know, his fifth of the season, four goals in the last eight games. You know, LeBanc getting in on the scoring, Couture, Tomas Hurdle, Matt Benning. I mean, and he had Matt, a huge block in that PK, in that five on three PK. You know, it, it's just been really, you'd have, have all those effects going in. And I think that's what Shane was talking about. Um, let's get to some of the comments from the locker room. We'll start off with this from uh, Timo Meyer has 11 goals in November of the season. This is the first month since October 2009. The, the Sharks have two uh, Sharks with nine goals each. Uh, that would go with Couture and Meyer. Uh, the last time they did that, it was Marlow and Danny Heatley. Uh, I should tell you how long it's been. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's. Let's. I, I will. I will say this though. Go ahead. And and I think that we've we've been we've been pretty good tonight on on the balanced view of, you know, is it too much to read into this win or you know is it is it too being too pessimistic? I think we've we've rode that that line of being cautious about it but i will say this if the sharks can somehow have three players be point per game players this season that will go a long way in making this team a playoff team now whether those three skaters two of them are forwards and one of them is defensemen or if it's three forwards or what have you um the odds of the players having individual success and not bringing success towards the team are pretty low. Meaning that if you get three, three to four players who have got 82 plus points in the season, I I think that you can start to say the team has made um, some strides. Right. And and I think that that's what it will take for a top, uh, such a top heavy team to, to make any kind of statement run, it's going to take something crazy like that to happen. Yeah. And, and again, let's not get crazy here. And as AJ's pointed out, you know, the Sharks remain on pace to have less points at the end of this season than they had last. Yeah. You know, it's not the, exactly the greatest thing. Let's get an update, though. Uh, Ian checking us out. Thank you very much, Ian. Uh, I think it was Agazino who got the goal for the CUDA. They're tied 1 1 with the Iowa Wild at Tech C Arena. So uh, keep up the good work with the updates there. With Ian, you can always follow us on the Twitter machine where we're updating the games as we are going. Uh, but let's get back to some of the comments in the uh, locker room. Mont- uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, I wish we had 82 games in Montreal. Breaking news, Vlasic wants to play for the Montreal Canadiens. He heard it here first. I mean, I mean, I think, I I, I mean, if he wasn't playing in San Jose, I think in all honesty, that's where he would be either that or Ottawa. Right. I think, you know, Ottawa was close enough to, to uh, Montreal that, you know, it's, it's not trivial or it's trivial the amount of time you take to commute or whatever. But, um, you know, I think he either wants to stay and finish his career as a shark or, 
will play for his hometown team and that will be it for him yeah. i think when when the when the um career is all done and he's hung up the skates and you look at the back of the hockey card you know i think it'll be one of two things either he played out his full career in teal or he went home for his last season and a half or two seasons whatever it may be uh, right. back at home so no we completely agree on that uh classic would continue on saying six kills a five on three after the kill we get a goal benning had a huge block took their momentum that's a lot of penalties to take against a skilled power play and while it's skill that's it's struggled over uh the season so far but uh yeah, again, like we were saying earlier, you know, stick taps to the PK, the number one ranked PK, getting it done uh, and doing, like like you said, Landy, whatever it takes. It's it's those intricacies that Shane was talking about that, uh, you know, you need to have to pull together a win. Uh, Vlasic went, continue on when asked why the Sharks are playing better on the road. Vlasic, I don't know. The game is simplified to them, it, to be honest with you. And, and it's been the case. I mean, even in the Joe Thornton years, it was yeah. that case where the team, for whatever reason, plays a simpler game on away ice. They they change better when they have the long change. They um, don't seem so hyper focused on making the the prettiest plays. And I think that there's an element of of. Um, being a stage fright in front of your own fans or whatever. And I think at, at some point, I, I think that they can feel the frustration of the fan base and know that this fan base is ready for playoffs again and ready to, you know, go chase down a cup. It's, it's a fan base that's gotten its heart broken numerous times. And, you know, it's always, it's, it's kind of now a little bit apathetic. So, <laughs> I think that that plays in even just on psychologically, it plays into the way in which they prepare for a game, the way in which they try to execute a game plan. And when you go on the road, you're not putting a show on for, for anybody's fans. I mean, you're there to do a job and, and you're there to execute your game plan. And I think that there's a little bit of that, showmanship aspect when they're at home ice that just takes away from their game right. and, and and with a team that doesn't have as much talent as a as some of those Thornton era year teams I mean they can't really outskill you you know what I mean it's not going to be a team that's going to um you know have a, a Pavel Datsuk and a Henrik Zetterberg you know and and do dipsy doodles it's not it's not that it's not a team built that way, right? This is a team that's built for hard forechecking, for um, using their big forwards down low, um, for slot play, and and for getting the puck up really quickly from some talented offensive defensemen, uh, or a talented offensive defenseman in this incarnation of the Sharks. But you know what I mean, right? It's it's right. very meat and potatoes based, and when they get home, I think they forget about that. Yeah, no, I think there's always that fact of wanting to show off, you know, put on, like you said, a good show and everything. It just, you know, sometimes it just happens to to be, you over over execute or attempt to over execute or get too fancy, and and it comes into play. 
Um, or maybe get you comfy at home. Who knows uh, with that. Uh, moving onward, we'll go to David Quinn here. Uh, I like how Kakinen rebounded. He's getting back to the level we expect. I thought this was his best game of the year. He looked really comfortable. And yeah, I'll, I'll completely agree with everything that Quinn said there. You know, uh, with that, I mean, he, he looked really sharp tonight. Uh, uh, Quinn has also said he hasn't made a decision in goal tomorrow. Uh, does he go back to back with Kakinen, especially with a shutout? Or do you go to Aaron Dell? Uh, that's that's a big question there it is is depending on how Kakinen feels so who knows uh, I mean he did so well tonight that I, I think he should be at least given the opportunity to start um, you know I think that uh, this is a goaltender that hasn't put consecutive games together yet um, and going back to back and standing on your head for two nights in a row would be a long way in in securing um you know a future spot for him you know going forward and and securing or, or giving some sense of security for the nets right. you know in the future right so um if he does start tomorrow i i really hope that he can um replicate the win and really can hope he can uh, replicate the effort um because again, I think this is the strong. That was one of the strongest games we've seen him play as a shark. Right. And if he can build off of that in in a back to back manner, I think it would go a long way. Absolutely. And Hurdle was thrilled for him to get the shutout, and he said, "Honestly, I feel so happy for him. He was great. That's kind of what he needs." Yeah. And you can you can feel it that you know. Yeah. There's been. There's been that struggle that, and the team knows it. They try to do whatever they can do, but a, a shutout again. Uh, I'll I'll refer to Uncle Darren Stevens at Shark Stats on Twitter. Uh, Darren, thank you so much as always. The Sharks have shut out the Canadians five times since 2013-14, the most in the NHL during that span. And that that's just crazy to think. Uh, AJ earlier in our in our DMs um, last time. The Sharks' loss in Montreal was March 21st, 2015. That's that's craziness to see, considering everything that Montreal has had over the years, how they've gotten close a number of times, gone to conference finals, gone to, you know... Them and Toronto. I mean, I feel like the record against Toronto is pretty darn good, too. Yeah, and there was that one time, although I think it snapped... Um, last season beginning of the year but i think montreal had a tough time winning in san jose up until last season i think that went all the way back to 90 97 98 uh but darren stevens also saying uh the sharks are 22 6 and 2 <laughs> now i see why mark edward vlasic wants to play montreal 82 times uh 22 6 and 2 versus montreal since 1998-99 the best points percentage in the nhl during that period uh, and like we mentioned, the Sharks have won seven straight at Bell Center in Montreal. I mean, just pure ownage on, on this it's team. Like, it was like that. Nice. It, was, it was almost like the whole Buffalo Sabres thing in reverse where, <laughs> yes. we, couldn't, where we couldn't buy a win in Buffalo. And, you know, they seem to have our number on their home ice. And now I think it's gotten better. But um you know, it's just one of those kind of funky stats. You don't know why 
why it happens, but there's just that couple of teams that you just have their number, you know, and they they don't really know how to shake it. Maybe it's maybe it's the color teal. Maybe they're mesmerized by the teal all the time because they see it so infrequently. Um, who the hell knows? But um, <laughs> it's good to see that the team plays with a lot of pride uh, when they play in Montreal, which is, you know, the the spiritual home of hockey. Right. I think right. people will say the Mecca is is uh, is Toronto. But I think a close I would I, I personally for the heritage aspect. Be- <laughs> well, it looks like uh, I will be uh, taking us out. And the uh, the lovely image of the Skype logo is uh, where Puck Guy should be. <laughs> but if you guys kept up and uh, continued to follow along with us, I uh, was just kind of mentioning that I was very proud of the Sharks uh, for uh, putting out such a good effort against Montreal. Again, the historical heart place of hockey, in my opinion. Uh, and honestly, uh, just one of those reverend, revered places kind of like a a Fenway or a um or a Wrigley so with that being said I think that we will end tonight's show with that uh the San Jose Sharks defeat the Montreal Canadiens four to nothing again follow us along tomorrow for our coverage after the Toronto Maple Leaf game. We will be going live right after that. Again, it's another 4 p.m. Pacific start, so look for us around 6.30. In case you missed us or you want to check us out, check us out across all of the social media platforms and podcasting platforms. That, of course, being Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, the YouTube Rewind, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Audacity. We have uh, some really nice plugins with all of those uh, podcasting apps, so you can check us out across those. And of course, always check us out on the website, tealtownusa.com. Like, subscribe, and uh, get notified for when we go live after every single Sharks game. So with that being said, for myself and for Puck Guy, keep it real, keep it teal, keep it real teal. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you after tomorrow's game against Toronto.